Hey, this is Jeff. Guess what? We submitted this podcast to a contest on WFAE, our local NPR affiliate, and they selected us. If we win this, we'll get our own show on WFAE. This is really exciting. So you're all asking, well, how can I help you guys win this? Well, I'm glad that you asked. This contest is based on votes. So we really need your votes. How can you vote? You can go to our website, which is gardens.uncc.edu. Once again, that's G-A-R-D-E-N-S dot U-N-C-C dot E-D-U. Go to the podcast tab. And once you go there, you'll find out a little bit about the contest and you'll find out where you can vote for us. Vote for us helps more people learn about the amazing world of plants and especially those that we use for food. Thank you so much for your vote. And now on to the show. Welcome to Season 2 of The Plants We Eat, a podcast from the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens that investigates the fascinating history, biology, and culture behind the plants we use for food. This is Jeff Gilman and Cindy Proctor. Together, we have over 50 years of research, teaching, and hands-in-the-dirt experience with growing plants, and over 100 years of experience eating them. And I am going to leave that part in because, (laughs) you know. Okay. All right. Almost 100 years. Sure. Let's just say. (laughs) (laughs) So today we've got a special crop, the pineapple, which was recommended to us by Josh Gilman, my brother. And again, it's really cool that my brother's listening to this podcast. And it it is a cool plant, by the way. And it is. And the second person to recommend this was Rhett Harrell III. And he listens to our podcast together with his son, Rhett Harrell IV. That's amazing. So, isn't that cool? That is. I love it. So Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Rhett. Pineapple was fantastic to do for so many reasons, not the least of which was the pina colada. <laughs> and do you know what pina colada means? What? Strained pineapple. Does it really? Yeah, it really does. Strained pineapple. I was bracing myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you thought I had something like really terrible? No, yeah. it just strained pineapple. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So pineapple, first of all, comes from South America. And it's a bromeliad. Now, you're saying to yourself, what is a bromeliad? It's a houseplant. It is a houseplant. It's also Spanish moss. That's right. So if you look at, you know those movies that take place in the South and you see all this stuff drooping out of trees? That's Spanish moss. Well, we take it for granted because it's just in South Carolina. We do. It's just south of us. So bromeliads are a huge group of really, really interesting plants. And I really think that to do them justice, we have to see them. But second thing you can do is actually go to your computer, type in bromeliad, and look at all the crazy colors and shapes of these things. And they really don't look like a flower, per se, that we're used to seeing. They're just very unique and bright and vibrant, and they're an epiphyte. Yeah, know? usually epiphytes, that's not right. always. Not all of them. but the, Pineapple you know, isn't an epiphyte. <laughs> I know, but most of the Spanish moss, I guess, you had you, when you mentioned that made me is think an of epiphyte. It. And now you're all saying, epiphyte, what the heck is that? Epiphyte is a plant. Epa means above. Phyte means, you know, likes are attracted to. It lives above the surface of the soil. Mm -hmm. So typically it lives in a tree, for example. Yeah, Spanish moss lives in a tree or in the bark of uh, of a tree or something like that. I guess technically it could live mounted in a rock or something. (laughs) But uh, epiphytes are really, really cool plants. A number of orchids are epiphytes, but certainly many, many of your bromeliads are epiphytes. If you go to like a Home Depot and you buy one of those air plants, uh, those are known as tillandsias, and the air plants, the tillandsias, are epiphytes. Fun for your kids to enjoy. They really are. So the bromeliad was, uh, I, you know, I'm going to use the word discovered. It's not really discovered because the bromeliads uh, and pineapples uh, certainly known 
by Native Americans, but the Europeans, uh, in terms of Europeans, Columbus basically discovered it, and it was uh, introduced to Europe uh, very early on in their discovery of the New World. Pretty quickly after they were discovered, they became a symbol of wealth over in Europe because they had to be grown in such really warm conditions. Well, they're, they're zone 10 and 11. Yes. Which, and so they had to be grown in hothouses. You know, they're still kind of a symbolize of wealth today. They really are. Yeah. I mean, even in um, the United States, there are not many areas in the United States. It's a common table decoration in, like Williamsburg or anybody who wants to mimic colonial America in their homes. Right, so. because the pineapple would show off their wealth because right. they were able to afford the kind of resources they need to grow this thing. Sure, sure. So biologically— the pineapple is just insanely interesting. Let me, let me explain why. So the pineapple grows in the ground. It has a, an inflorescence. What is an inflorescence? Inflorescence is a group of flowers. Uh, think lilac. You know, lilac has a whole bunch of flowers together. Pineapple isn't exactly like that, but kind of like that. You have this group of flowers. Then these flowers form fruit. Here's the interesting thing about the fruit. Think of a, an apple tree. You have all these individual flowers, and each individual flower can potentially turn into its own fruit. That's not what happens with pineapple. All of these flowers form fruit, and then these fruit meld together into your pineapple. Now, I have to tell you, if you go to YouTube and type in pineapple flower forming or something like that, there's a time-lapse video of this happening. Oh, really? And it is way cool. I I have not seen this. So you have this spike-looking flower in fluorescence, okay? And then in the time-lapse shows those flowers, if you will, molding together and forming this fruit that we all know is the pineapple. Too cool. It is way cool. Too cool. So when you look at a pineapple, you ever notice how there are scales? Each one of those scales is basically an individual flower. Good description, yeah. Right, Mm -hmm. whose fruit formed into each other. Now, here's the next interesting thing about the pineapple. What fertilizes the pineapple? That is, what gets the pollen to the female part? Hummingbirds? It's parthenocarpic. It's not necessary. (laughs) Well, you don't want it to form seed, that's for sure, because it really alters the taste of the fruit. So two reasons that you don't normally get seed formation. Now, I'm not saying none of you have ever had a seed in your pineapple. I I remember getting a seed or two in my pineapple. Yeah, I do. I was trying to remember, and I haven't. But uh, I I have, and I remember because it was was rare. But my dad uh, is really into having big pineapples and cutting it up, so Mm -hmm. we regularly had things like that. Anyway, um, they are self-infertile, which means that if you have one cultivar of pineapple, it will not fertilize itself. If you're planting nothing but smooth cayenne, Mm -hmm. which is a cultivar of pineapple, then it won't fertilize itself, and you won't get seeds. So it's self-infertile, and of course, if it's not pollinated, if no pollinator comes in, it's infertile. So seed production in pineapple is pretty minimal, and you're unlikely to find many seeds in pineapples unless you're like, my dad is and loves to get the fresh ones. Eventually, you might find one Mm -hmm. or two seeds. Well, you know, hummingbirds are helpful in pollination, and they, they talked about that when production existed in Hawaii as our main source for pineapples. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Let's talk about pineapples in Hawaii in just a second. Okay, okay. So I wanted to talk a little bit about cultivars because this is one thing that was really, really interesting to me. Cindy, when you think of cultivars of like apple, um, when do you think of these cultivars having been developed for for cultivars of like, like apple or peach? I mean, just ballpark. 
a hundred years ago? Right, a hundred years okay. ago. Some some as early as twenty years sure. ago, and maybe as much as one hundred and fifty years There's ago. There's always going to be something better. Right. So yeah, but twenty many, to a hundred years ago. Right. Sure. But how many how many of our modern cultivars of ap- apples come from three hundred years ago? And the answer to that is very very few. Not not none. I that think. we pay attention to anyway. That we pay attention to, actually, it probably is none. Mm-hmm. But that the breeders pay attention to uh, very, very, very few. Certainly they exist. One of the crazy things to me was that as I looked through the cultivars of pineapples, most of these cultivars, not all, but most of them are really, really old. One of the most popular ones throughout history, and one that can still be found today, is the one I just mentioned, smooth cayenne. It's actually a pre-Columbian cultivar, those first collected in French Guiana. Another interesting one, one that I found really interesting, is red Spanish, which is actually, you know, kind of red on the outside, which is kind of cool. Now, you just talked about Hawaii, and I'm glad that you actually raised it at the time you did, because in Hawaii, there was a breeding effort, and they developed one called the MD2. (laughs) (laughs) And the MD2, it's the world's leading fresh pineapple cultivar. It's developed in Hawaii, and of course, the crazy thing is, Hawaii doesn't grow that many pineapples anymore. It's too expensive. Right, exactly, for labor, which isn't to say that they don't sell pineapples. It's just not like it once was. The one pineapple that I was most interested in that I read about, and maybe you read about this one too, is the Queen Victoria. Mm -hmm. The Queen Victoria, um, it's, it's small and supposedly extremely sweet. But one of the interesting things to me about the Queen Victoria was that it was developed on the French island of Reunion in 1668. And why is that interesting? Do you remember... Uh, talking about Reunion in some of our previous podcasts, specifically about vanilla. Reunion was actually the island where um, Edmund Albus figured out how to fertilize the vanilla flower. So here we are. So here we are. And of course, Reunion is also a place, again, it's an island near Madagascar, where a number of other um, crops, uh, particularly from the Pacific, went to be grown. France really used this island as a place both to develop plants and to grow some of the more tropical things that it was discovering. So the French Island of Reunion, really, really an interesting place. So when we're talking about the pineapple in Hawaii, we're really talking about uh, a period of time from about 1899 to about 2007. Pineapples were grown there prior to 1899, but they really became a big deal in 1899 with James Dole. He moved to Hawaii in 1899 and he started a pineapple crop in 1900. Now, the interesting thing about James Dole is that he certainly did pretty well with the pineapples, (laughs) but he hired this guy named Henry Janaka, okay? And Henry Janaka is a guy who's pretty much been forgotten in history. And it's really a shame because this guy is fascinating. He was hired by Henry Dole, as far as I can tell, from his engineering feats prior to 1913. We'll get to 1913 in a second. He worked with the sugarcane industry and had a number of patents. I started looking for this guy's patents. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Anyway, Dole hired Janaka and said, hey man, we've got a problem. We need to be able to can our pineapple without spending all this money on people, you know, cutting pineapples down into these little things that fit in cans. So Janaka figured how to do this and came up with a machine that does pineapple coring and peeling. And this is actually called the Janaka machine. (laughs) And the Janaka machine, which is basically still in use today, this is the machine that allowed Dole to go from pretty big to really big. 
um, because it would core and peel the pineapple, and then what was left would go pop right into a can, and you'd sell that. Interestingly, canning of pineapple was done since 1865 in mm -hmm. Baltimore, but for pineapple, um, they really took it over in Hawaii. But, you know, Dole was responsible for marketing uh, pineapple to the Westerners. That He right. came out with a lot of recipes, like the pineapple upside-down cake mm -hmm. that we all, in, you know, mm -hmm. most of us enjoy. Not my favorite. So the recipes <laughs> also helped to uh, grow his own industry. Yes, it did. And so even though it was well-known in Europe, mm -hmm. it wasn't in the United States. What an interesting guy. I know. So anyway, because of cost, the last Hawaiian cannery closed in 2007. If you're curious about where most pineapples are grown today, most of it's going to go on in uh, Costa Rica, Brazil. Uh, the Philippines and Thailand are in there as well. Those are the, those are the big producers right now with Costa Rica yeah, pretty, much being the, uh, pretty much being the leader. All right, now there's one other really fascinating biological part of this crop that I found just fascinating. So pineapples will certainly set fruit on their own, but they can be induced to set fruit. Now, you guys are probably familiar with the whole idea that if you put an apple into a bag with a banana, the ripe apple will emit a gas called ethylene gas, which will make the banana really ripe. You know, it's mm -hmm. a fast way to ripen a banana. Well, this works particularly well on pineapples, not so much when you bring it home, but in the field. Uh, this was actually discovered in 1872, it was discovered in the Azores in Portugal, and it was discovered by accident when uh, some pineapples in a greenhouse were flowering resulted when they were using smudge pots to warm the greenhouse. The mm -hmm. smoke from the smudge pots actually induced flowering and fruit production. So then they figured out how to induce Isn't fruit. Isn't that because of the ethylene, though? It yeah, mimics exactly. ethylene? Exactly. Okay. It mimics ethylene, and it does that. Then in the 1820s, People in Puerto Rico figured out how to do the same thing for infield use. And by infield, I mean, you know, not in a greenhouse outside. They actually use what's known as smudge pots. These are ordinarily used to warm crops uh, in cold weather if you're going to get a freeze or something. But the smudge pots actually inspired the pineapples to fruit. And then, this is most interesting to me, people started using calcium carbide. What's calcium carbide? Well, calcium carbide is what's used for, if you've heard of acetylene lamps or acetylene torches, use calcium carbide and it produces acetylene. And acetylene will actually mimic ethylene in terms of plants responding. So in uh, 1932, the Hawaiians started using this and they put calcium carbide out in their fields, which would produce this acetylene, which would get all the pineapples blooming at the same time, which was, you know, it's a big deal to have all your crops come in at the same time. So this is pretty awesome. In fact, today, if you have a pineapple growing at home, and if today you want to inspire that pineapple to produce a fruit, you can actually buy calcium carbide. I just saw it on Amazon for like seven bucks. <laughs> and you can put a little grain of that calcium carbide on or around the plant, and if it's exposed to water, it'll produce acetylene, which will promote flowering in your pineapple. Uh, today, by the way, they still do this, but they don't do it with calcium carbide. They will use commercial compound known as ethophon, which basically forces the release of ethylene. Now, I have one more really interesting thing that I found with pineapple. You know, when we think of pineapple, we think of it as a, as a fresh fruit. Uh, and certainly it is a fresh fruit and it's, it's delicious, but it actually has another function. And that is as a meat tenderizer. <laughs> and I was just, I, I couldn't believe this. It, it has in it an enzyme which uh, breaks down 
meats. It's a, anyway, this compound's called a protease, breaks down proteins. And the protease is called a bromelain, okay? Bromelain is one of the two most used meat tenderizers out there. The only one is pepain, which comes from you guessed it, papaya. <laughs> so papayas and pineapples actually produce the two most commonly used commercial tenderizers out there today. I mean, I, I understand pineapple a little bit, but not papaya. <laughs> Isn't that weird? That is weird. <laughs> um, I, I did a little bit of a search for pineapple medicinal use, and I tell you what, there's, there's all kinds of stuff out there that honestly I don't necessarily believe. There's one set of studies that, that does seem to point to uh, a significant medical benefit. Uh, and that is that uh, bromelain does seem to, that's the bromelain in the pineapples, so theoretically the pineapples, may reduce swelling of the sinuses. My new friend. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but now be careful here, because for both meat tenderization, which of course you can use fresh pineapple for, or for sinus reduction, you need the bromelain. Well, if you use processed pineapple, or pineapple that's been heated or pasteurized in any way, the bromelain will break down and won't be available. So it does have to be fresh pineapple. It cannot be canned or usually pineapple juice because mm -hmm. they've been pasteurized or heat treated. Sure. And once you have that heat treatment, the benefit's gone. Well, you know, historically, pineapples were on very long boat trips to help with scurvy. Yes. <laughs> okay. High vitamin C content. That's right. And then um, also the pineapple juice, if mixed with sand, was a great cleaning agent for boats. Really? Yes, and this part surprised me the most. But, you know, to me, pineapple is very acidic. You mm -hmm. know, it's a, it has a strong, uh, could tear your stomach up attribute, yes, you know, to yes. it. So when I read that uh, workers on pineapple fields often don't have fingerprints because they were thinking it could be caused by the enzyme. Really? I don't that know. Is, that might well, be— Well, it's a protease. It breaks down— it breaks down um, and so I did actually a lot of reading into this. It actually breaks down primarily collagenic uh, okay. proteins. All so right. well, see, I didn't get that far. So wouldn't okay. that make sense? Yes, that would make sense. So uh, no fingerprints. Awesome. Okay. Now, if well, you... for all the you know nefarious activities that I'm engaged in, I think that I need to <laughs> <laughs> spend more time with pineapple. Clearly, wow, that's another show. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you want fresh pineapple, you can grow it at home, and you don't want to do it by seed, of course, but you want to do it by cloning it and cloning it. Well, maintain the cultivar. Maintain the cultivar, yes, but you can use four different parts of the plant. And okay. you can use the crown, the slips, the suckers, and the shoots. And you're like, what is that? So the crown is what we all know to be that top part of the pineapple that looks like wild, crazy hair, you know, and right, that we but, cut off and get rid of. But that's actually leaves, right? Those are actually leaves. And they call it the crown, and it's right above the fruit. Mm -hmm. And it's a great name because it, 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 uh, it just makes me think more of this aristocratic fruit. You know, it has a crown. But that crown can be um, cut a little bit more and some of the leaves taken off of it and just put in, a, in potting soil and put, um, put toothpicks so it's not too far deep into the potting soil. Have you ever grown avocado seed in a jar? Sure. You do it like that, but put it directly into potting soil. So I haven't done this so much, but um, our lead greenhouse grower, Tammy, she actually does this every year. And uh, we, have, we actually have pineapple production every year. Oh, good. Although this year, I'm thinking of bringing in some of that um, calcium carbide so that we can— uh, Get it to flower. Get it to— Because well, it takes two years 
Right. So we can make it go. I'm wondering if we can make it go faster right. by yeah. using this compound. So I'm So well you can because that's what Hawaii did in their fields is they got two to three crops a year because they forced it to flower, you know, which w- would be typically unheard of. Mm-hmm. Now the slips that I talked about aren't going to be found on your grocery store fresh pineapple because mm-hmm. those are going to be removed, but those would be vegetative uh, growths right below the fruit. Well, those were cleaned off, you know, so, so you won't see those unless you, won't you get see them those. from somewhere else. So the best part is uh, going to be the crown, okay. you know, that which is, which is always intact. Right. You know? Now, if you want to make this a fun kids project, you can also put that crown in water Mm-hmm. and use your toothpicks there, too, and the That's kids right, could watch it the root. Because the roots would grow right into it. And after the roots grew, you could then transplant it into potting yes. soil. And, and we do that on our own campus, you know, as part of propagation, just to kind of see cool. how different, you know, parts of the plant can uh, propagate plants uh, for the future. So, um, but yes, I, I think this would be a fun project. But if you can wait two years... <laughs> yeah, that's for for a pineapple because you can't leave it outside zone 10 to 11. So you can grow a pineapple in a little bit less light than you might think, but it it it's not going to do well on a kitchen table, for example. It's going to have to be in a very, very uh, sunny room yes. where, you, where you can keep the temps above. I mean, pineapple being zone 10, it, it's not going to take freezing. No. Ideally, it would never see anything below 60, 55 degrees. Ideally. Ideally. Yeah. Ideally. But it was what a great fruit, a great topic. Uh, it it that, is that, to to go over, and it's just really neat to see that time lapse video. Mm-hmm. I we've got to encourage everybody to take a look at that next time that you cut into a pineapple. Just think about all the different parts that go into it. Again, biologically, this is a truly unique fruit. You know, before we leave this topic, one thing: Do you know that it was such a cool fruit and it represented wealth? You could actually rent it in. Uh, in Victorian, really? Uh, yeah, you could rent it to show off your uh, your status. <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? Today we rent a car. Back then they rent a they pineapple. Like, look at this. Look how rich I am. I have a pineapple. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, they did do great lengths to receive one, you know, in those days. So This has been a good one, but you know what? I'm really looking forward to, uh, to our next podcast. We had this uh, awesome email from uh, Jean and Chloe. Okay. Um, and Chloe's a student, and she's learning. She actually listens to our podcasts. Uh, to learn about all these different foods. And uh, she sent us a list of, I think, over 30 suggestions. It's a great list, it's a Chloe. Great thank list. you. Yeah. Yeah, we appreciate it. It's enough for a year, just about. <laughs> anyway, after getting this list, I said, but Chloe, which one do you really want? And uh, Jean and Chloe wrote back and they said, well, I think the one we'd really like is is cinnamon. So our next podcast is going to be on cinnamon. Great choice. It is. It's a really good one. We can't wait to uh, can't wait to delve into cinnamon. We do have a, a new cinnamon plant, by the way, over at the gardens. Okay. So I'm excited about I can't this. wait to see it. Isn't that going to be fun? Yeah, it's going to be fun. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to The Plants We Eat. This has been a production of the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens and the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. This has been done in conjunction with the Isle Group and Alex Frizzell, and we look forward to talking with you soon. Hey, this is Jeff. Guess what? We submitted this podcast to a contest on WFAE, our local NPR affiliate, and they selected us. If we win this, we'll get our own show on WFAE. This is really exciting. So you're all asking, well, how can I help you guys win this? Well, I'm glad that you asked. This contest is based on votes. So we really need your votes. How can you vote? 
You can go to our website, which is gardens.uncc.edu. Once again, that's G-A-R-D-E-N-S dot U-N-C-C dot E-D-U. Go to the podcast tab, and once you go there, you'll find out a little bit about the contest, and you'll find out where you can vote for us. Vote for us helps more people learn about the amazing world of plants, and especially those that we use for food. Thank you so much for your vote, and now on to the show.